Welcome to Sound Prints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prints for the week of September 25, 2015. The American Council of Blind Families is a special interest affiliate of ACB. At the 2015 National Conference and Convention, ACB families sponsored a day at the Kids Explorers Club, had a breakfast where we talked about technology in the home, and held a very special family bingo night. Now ACB families is holding a membership drive. Dues are just $8 a person, and everyone who joins by the end of October 2015 will not only be a member throughout 2016, but will have a chance to win one of two great prizes, a $50 or a $100 gift certificate. For more information, call Adam Rushevel, ACB Families Treasurer, at 502-303-7078. Adam will be glad to assist you with submitting your dues. The Kentucky Council of the Blind 2015 Conference and Convention is coming up November 13 and 14 at the Ramada Inn North, 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. KCB was chartered at the 5th Annual ACB Convention in 1965, so we are celebrating 50 golden years of service to blind and visually impaired Kentuckians. Our convention will be packed with exhibits, workshops, programs, food, and fun and friends. Plan now to attend. You are invited to come to part or all of the convention. If you want to stay at the hotel, room rates are $75 a night plus tax. Your room rate includes free Wi-Fi and free breakfast. Room reservations need to be made by October 30. Call 502-897-5101 to make reservations and be sure to let the hotel know you are with the Kentucky Council of the Blind so that you receive the discount. Pre-registration information will be available soon, so listen to Sound Prints or visit our website at www.kentucky-acb.org for details. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind is collecting new hats, scarves, and gloves for homeless people in the Louisville area. Items need to be new and can be either store-bought or handmade. If you would like to help, Call us at 502-895-4598 for more information. The Kentucky Council of the Blind Next Generation Chapter is sponsoring a first-timers contest for the KCB convention. If you're under age 40, are blind or visually impaired, are a resident of Kentucky, and have never attended a KCB convention, you just might be able to attend this convention, all expenses paid. Find out more by contacting Amanda Selm with KCB Next Generation at 502-750-1774 or by Facebook chat. Eric Bridges has been a guest on Sound Prince a number of times over the years, and he's done great and wonderful things in ACB related to legislation and regulations since he joined our staff in 2007. He visits with us this week to talk about the reintroduction of the Alice Cogswell and Sullivan Macy Act, H.R. 3535, which concerns the education of children 
who are blind or deaf, and he also tells us about himself and his background as he gets ready to become the ACB Interim Executive Director on October 1. We think you'll really enjoy learning more about Eric Bridges. On page 3, we bring you a feature from the 1981 ACB National Convention in St. Louis. This is our historical segment this week, and it's a very interesting look at how some people went about seeking employment and handling jobs that required technology in the days before screen readers and braille note takers. The feature is introduced by Oral Miller, who was president of ACB from 1978 to 1981. And on page four is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. Kim Charlson posted an announcement to the leadership list and other ACB lists in the past few days, um, introducing Eric Bridges as the interim executive director for ACB beginning October 1. And on the phone with me now is Eric. And welcome, Eric. We're so glad to have you and happy to see that announcement. Thanks, Carla. And uh, appreciate being back on your show. Yeah, you've been here pretty often. <laughs> I have, yes. It's a regular thing almost. That's right. That's right. Eric, we've talked to you a lot about legislation and things in the past, and I'm sure we'll do a lot of that in the future. Um, you also had a good announcement in the last couple of days, uh, about, well, in fact, about a week ago, about the uh, introduction again of the Alice Cogswell and Sullivan Macy Act. Um, just tell us a in a couple of minutes about that, and then I'd like for us to uh, have you kind of introduce yourself a little bit to the people as, uh, as the executive director. It's, and uh, so let's talk about Alice Cogswell first, and then. Sure. So the Alice Cogswell and Ann Sullivan Macy Act, for starters, those two names are uh, really synonymous with uh, individuals with sensory disabilities from a historical perspective. Alice Cogswell was the first uh, deaf child to be educated uh, in a public school in this country, and uh, I believe we all know about Ann Sullivan and what she did with Helen Keller and teaching Helen Keller, but what gets lost with some is that she, in fact, had a visual impairment herself. Mm -hmm. So um, this legislation deals with kids uh, with sensory disabilities, so deaf or hard of hearing, blind or visually impaired, as well as deafblind. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, it, it deals with uh, really the kindergarten through 12th grade spectrum and the services that are being provided today or should be provided today that aren't, as well as some other aspects uh, that really speak to the accountability or lack thereof of uh, the state uh, agencies that uh, you know, are responsible for uh, really properly resourcing school districts mm -hmm. uh, and identifying children mm -hmm. uh, with disabilities, and in particular, in this case, children with sensory disabilities. Mm -hmm. And then at the federal level, the Department of Education and uh, really seeking to hold them accountable for the work that they should be doing. Mm -hmm. um, 
with regard to monitoring and accurately counting how many of our kids are going through the special education system. Mm -hmm. So this this would certainly be legislation that would um, take a, a, a major step in the education of, of kids with sensory with sensory disabilities in the future. Yes, it would. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, this legislation it doesn't it doesn't really cost any money. It's not as though we're asking for a huge appropriation or something of that nature. Right. Uh, a lot of people may not know this, but the federal government spends $11.5 billion, with a B, every year on special education. And yet, uh, kids who are blind or visually impaired or deaf-blind uh, and or deaf are um, oftentimes not receiving the sort of uh, education and or opportunities within education that they should, and um, I'm sure we've heard of IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and what this would, what this bill would really seek to do is to make uh, what is implicit within IDEA more explicit. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, for for starters, um, you know, your listeners might be interested to know that the Department of Education believes that there are roughly 30,000 kids in this country that are going through the special education system who are blind or visually impaired. And, and we know there's more than that just from the APH federal quota. Yes. We, uh, APH would quote you a number that's closer to 130,000. Mm -hmm. So that's not, you know, that's not really a rounding error. That's not, oh, you know, just a little bit of... Uh, uh, adding and subtracting, that's significant. Mm -hmm. And part of this stems from the fact that within the state, um, it, the, the schools are only required to essentially check one box for a student with a disability. And mm -hmm. we know that children who are blind or visually impaired have other disabilities. Mm -hmm. right. And those dis other disabilities may... Uh, appear to be the primary disability mm -hmm. where the the school and the teacher are are feeling as though well blindness or visual impairment is the least of this child's uh challenges right and there are a lot but, of kids like that yeah and 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 in instances that that may in fact be true however in order for that kid to have any shot of really learning uh, the visual impairment component has to be dealt with because how does one learn if one cannot see <laughs> mm -hmm. um, or cannot see well? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're, you're already fighting some other uh, challenges to begin with, and if you're not being taught in a way where you are actually able to comprehend and learn, whether that's Braille or large print or you know, more audio, whatever it yes. may be, yes. um, there is very little chance that even if you have a, a cognitive or a developmental disability that's rather significant, there's very little chance that you'll be able to really, uh, you know, broaden your horizons and, and, and learn. Right, right. And so this bill would help that to, to happen. Yeah, and essentially it would, you know, would mm -hmm. hold this, the states more accountable. Uh, in this instance, for mm -hmm. being able to identify these children, mm -hmm. um, 
and and you know figure out how to uh, you know meet their needs through uh, you know the amount of faculty that are around. Part of the challenge that we have in this country, Carla, is that a lot of these states are you know they have rural components to them. You live in Kentucky. And you have a lot of rural components that are very rural, you know. And I'm originally from Iowa, and there's a lot of rural in Iowa, and frankly, all through the Midwest. And oftentimes, uh, you've got you know kids sort of dotting uh, the prairie, as it were, um, that you know schools may not have had a blind or visually impaired kid for years and years and years, you know, 20, 30 years, or some sometimes they may not have ever had one. So what do they do? How do they how do they work with the school district and how does the school district work with the state mm-hmm. to be able to ensure that that those kids are getting the necessary services in order to be successful? Right. Uh, you know, in this in the classroom. So give us the bill number. HR 3535. All right. And it's it's introduced by Congressman Matt Cartwright, a Democrat of Pennsylvania, and Congressman David McKinley, a Republican from West Virginia. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, now that's that's your um, your your well-known uh, function here in ACB as the uh, director of external policy and relations, and and. Uh, uh, that's what we're familiar with, but now let's. Uh, you're going to be switching over to this uh, interim executive director hat. I guess you're going to have to do both things at the same time for a while. That's going to be challenging. But let's um, introduce yourself to to us, to to people. Um, let's pretend like you haven't been in ACB before, and we're just meeting you for the first time. So tell us about Eric. Sure. Well, I I grew up in in Iowa, as I think I said earlier, and went to school at the University of Iowa. Uh, got a degree in journalism and mass communications and uh, did a did a college internship for Senator Harkin, Tom Harkin from Iowa, and fell in love with uh, Washington. And after the internship was over, I really wanted to come out here and work and started looking around for, for jobs. and. National Industries for the Blind, uh, which is based in Alexandria, uh, had a job opening and uh, went and interviewed and went back and interviewed again. And uh, (laughs) a a great uh, member of ACB who has since passed, uh, Pat Beattie, uh, really advocated for me to get a job there. And I wound up uh, graduating and getting a job all within... A couple weeks, mm-hmm. and so I've I've lived out here in the D.C. area since January of 2001, and uh, worked for National Industries for the Blind. Uh, I did some sales and marketing. I was a national account manager, as well as uh, working in uh, their public policy department for Pat Beatty for about three years, mm-hmm. and uh, left and went to. Uh, uh, participate in a fellowship program through the Brookings Institution, which is a, a public policy think tank here in Washington. And through that, uh, did a fellowship with Congressman John Klein, who is now the 
the chair of the House Education and Workforce Committee. Mm-hmm. And actually, within the last couple of weeks, announced he's going to retire. So, mm-hmm. uh, but had a wonderful experience working for the congressman. I, I had a whole portfolio of issues, um, and uh, I decided during that period of time that I didn't want anything to do with disability. I wanted to sort of expand my horizons and. So I, I uh, staffed the congressman on uh, the Education and Workforce Committee on issues pertaining to OSHA, as well as uh, the Mine Safety Health Administration as well. That During that time, there were a couple of really awful mine, mining accidents. Uh, and it was uh, interesting times. I, I dealt with that. I dealt with uh, the digital TV transition from a... From a uh, a legislation uh, standpoint, which I would go on to deal with uh, when, once I got to ACB as well. Oh, yeah, um, and with then, that, uh, the, the CVAA Act. Well, there was that, yep, and some some other stuff. So, uh, you know, just a whole broad array of, of, of issues that I dealt with, and then uh, there was a job opening at ACB, and mm-hmm. in... Uh, June of 2007, I came to work here as the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs and uh, did, a, did a, a lot of things and have continued to do a lot of legislative and regulatory work. Uh, the, the first uh, big issue that, that I played a, a role in was the ADA Amendments Act of 2008 that dealt with some employment-related uh, issues, <clears throat> and then uh, to go alongside that, we uh, got introduced a piece of legislation called the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, mm-hmm. which I know your listeners are well aware of, because oh. we've talked about it a lot through the years. Yes, we have. And uh, got that uh, passed through the House and the Senate and signed into law uh, almost exactly five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be October 8th uh, will be the five-year anniversary. And wow. there was an, it was a really neat, really neat day because the president did a bill signing in the East Room of the White House, and there were a bunch of us there, including Stevie Wonder, and, and obviously the president doesn't get much bigger than that. So <laughs> it was a great day. Yeah. Right? Well, there's been a lot of good of good things happen in the, since 2007. I think you've done an amazing job on Capitol Hill. What what are some of your hobbies? Or do you have time for hobbies? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> one of my hobbies, he's not really a hobby, he's my son. Um, <laughs> but he's a lot of fun to play with when, when I go home at night. Um, it, uh, Tyler is his name, and he's uh, 13 months old. Mm-hmm. And uh, But when, when I get the chance to, you know, kick back and have just a little bit of alone time. Um, I, I love sports. I love uh, college football and the NFL. Mm-hmm. And uh, both my wife and I do, and we like attending uh, sporting events as well. Uh, we're going to go to an Iowa game here later this fall, and uh, we've that been to will a couple of Nationals games this season. Yeah, that's that's great. So. Well, so that's... that's um, that's good. At least, at least you do have a little bit of time that's not just Capitol Hill, and you've done some great things in the technology area as well. And uh, now yeah, that you're real interested, that's in a lot of up tech a lot of time. Yes. 
Yeah, that yeah. um, and and a lot of that, Carla, has stemmed from this EVAA. Frankly, mm-hmm. it it mm-hmm. it allowed ACB to reach out uh, in a collaborative way mm-hmm. to the technology companies that were going to be impacted by the CVAA mm-hmm. and offer up our uh, you know our services our our uh, thoughts on how to make their products or services accessible to our community mm-hmm. not just not just ACB members although that's who we I represent when I when I go to these meetings but the broader blindness community as well so um you know, it's been um, it's been a lot of fun. It, there's been a lot of in a job like this. There's a lot of highs and there's a lot of lows, and you do a lot of waiting around uh, for Congress and for the federal government to uh, take action on things that you know we always like to think should have been done ten years ago. Right, <laughs> um, and should be obvious but, that they're a good idea. Yeah. yeah, but you know, it's it's um. It's been a. It really has been just an extremely um, awesome experience yeah. uh, working at ACB, and I, um, I. I guess I should also say that I'm a member of ACB. I'm a proud member. I I became a member as a student in college in 1999, mm-hmm. and uh, attended my first legislative seminar in 1999 when I was a junior in college. So. Oh. Um, I have I have a passion for ACB, yeah. and uh, you know that has only grown through the years as I've you know come to work here and gotten to know uh, the issues and and our members and the leaders in the organization and really get a, a really in depth understanding of of who it is we are as a as an organization and what we stand for. Well, the great thing about a lot of what gets done, in fact. ACB's <clears throat> ACB's major uh, initiatives have been, including those that, uh, that you've talked about and others, are things that do touch everybody. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> you are working for ACB and you're doing things for ACB members, but it's not just for ACB members. And as you pointed out, the things that we're doing touch touch everybody at one point or another. And and that is what's really good. Um, what I I really like about um, being in ACB is that um, you know we where we aren't doing things that are just for one segment of the population or that just touch a group you know one group of people the the group that all can afford the Apple Watch you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's great. And uh, in fact, we I'm on my way to a chapter activity today, and we have a uh, a member that's bringing an Apple Watch this afternoon for us all to see, and and we'll all want one, you know. But I don't know how many more will show up. But it's it's, um, but you know, whether it's identifying money or it's identifying your prescription label or it's um, you know audio audio description on on TV. Or whatever. I mean, there's all these things that touch everybody, and and um, I remember being at a legislative seminar, sitting in there um, a couple of years ago. Is it two or three now? Anyway, you were up there in front doing your thing with um, at, the, at the legislative seminar, starting on Sunday afternoon, and talking about the a bill that related to um, 
related to the um, prescription labeling that that was just getting introduced right then. It was going to be introduced um, while we while ACB was there in Washington. And I mean, Eric, it was really exciting to to see those those things that just just happen. And honestly, sometimes, you know, from the perspective of the person just sitting out there, it's like you know, what magic trick is this guy going to pull out of his hat now? I mean, it's almost <laughs> how it seemed. You know, you just have done, um, it, it's almost as if for those of us that have sat around and watched things take so long, and things do, I mean, they, they just do, but um, it's <laughs> things have almost appeared to be on a fast track sometimes, and that it's been it's been a great ride for the last eight years, and I'm really, you know, looking forward to, what what will happen next? What what's the next shoe that's going to drop? You know, <laughs> and uh, so having that having the uh, Cogswell Macy Act reintroduced that's that's great news, and of course also in Congress is the Medicare the Low Vision Act the that deals with the durable medical equipment. Yep, HR so, seven twenty nine. Yeah, what's the number? HR seven twenty nine. Yeah, we're going to have to have a talk. Um, another day on on um on how that's going and so on but sure. but uh but you know i mean those are all great things and um it's just been it's it's just been amazing for the last several years and um we sure appreciate all you know that you've done then and we're really looking forward to i don't know how much you're looking forward to this october one and you'll have all these additional calls and <laughs> email lists to keep up with and all these other things but um, we are we're really um, congratulate you on being in that position and and look forward to to talking to you again. Sounds good, Carla. Thanks so much for having me back. Page three. The National Convention, 1981. The area of employment of the blind is, we hope, an ever-expanding one. Frequently, these advances take place because some individual with a lot of determination and a lot of skill and a lot of guts was simply interested in doing something that somebody hadn't done before. And as a result, he or she goes to a prospective employer and says, look, I can do that. So what if somebody hasn't done it before? I can do it by using these procedures, these aids and appliances, by studying hard, by learning it, by modifying the job, by doing all sorts of things. The young woman who's going to describe her experiences, her working techniques, answer questions, and just generally tell you how she goes about this, is a very versatile young woman. She has a number of hobbies, and needless to say, she enjoys traveling. But the first time I ever saw her, she was on skis. She was going down a slope that she had never been down before in California. She happens to be from California. It's my pleasure to introduce to you at this point a young woman who is going to talk to you about a blind reservationist in the service of the friendly skies. It's my pleasure to introduce to you Ms. Petra Gibbons. Thank you very much. I'm really very happy to be here, and I hate microphones. Um, I think I would rather have done this long distance with the computer in front of me. I don't know. Um, just before 
um, Oral introduced me to all of you. I was speaking to someone who maybe was asking the question that all of you like to know most. And I never prepare speeches ahead of time because I really would like to find out what you'd like to know. And she was asking me how I went about getting the job and did I have any difficulty. And my answer to her really was no, I didn't have any difficulty. Yes, it did take a long time to get hired by the airline, but I believe that most of that long time was because of me. And I really have to say that United Airlines gave me every opportunity and never placed any roadblocks in the way. Um, sometimes I like to fight my way through a situation because by fighting to convince others, I also convince me. And I had such a little bit of a fight with them that, in fact, I had no fight that uh, when I was going through training, I would walk my guide dog each night and I would think, well, you're still here <laughs> for one more day. You're still here. And uh, I hadn't had the opportunity to really convince myself as much as I would like to, although I was fairly convinced before I went for the interview. It did begin, this whole story, about eight years ago, seven years ago, when I got an Opticon. And that is the machine I use on the job. At the time I got the Opticon, I had no use for it at work at all. I got the Opticon because I wanted to read print. I didn't want to always have to rely on someone else. I had three piles of mail. I had occupant that anyone could read. I had bills that other people could read. And I had private that sometimes had to wait four months to get read. And I didn't like having things that way. I liked being able to get mail read and so forth. So when I heard about the Opticon and saw one, I tried to walk out of the person's house that showed me the Opticon with it, but that didn't work. So I decided I would have to buy one, and I did. This was in August of 1973 that I bought my Opticon and went to Telesensory Systems for training. In April of 1964, I was laid off of the job I had as secretary due to lack of funds. And I thought about it. I had heard that the CRT lens was made, and I knew that the airlines used the CRT, which is the cathode ray tube, or the TV screen computer terminal. And I felt that that gave me my in. I don't go to apply for a job unless I have the tools in hand to show the employer how I'm going to do it. Because they're going to say, well, gee whiz, we're interested, but how are you going to do it? I don't know. So I took them with me, and I went to United Airlines. They told me over the telephone they weren't hiring, but I said, I'm between jobs right now. Could I come down and talk to you now? And they said, sure, come on down. So I went down, talked to a man in employment. It probably helped that the head of the employment department at that time had a blind father. And as most of you know, having them have a blind relative can either work for you or against you. In this case, I feel that it worked for me. but went down, showed him the Opticon, and he was so convinced that his father would have loved to have had it and thought it was so wonderful. He said, we're not hiring right now, but he said, when we do hire in September, we'll call you. Now, I have had bad interviews. I'm not so young as I sound and look. <laughs> I'm really more than 18. And I have had interviews that you walk out of and you know they're saying, don't call me, we'll call you. 
I'm no dummy. And this was definitely not one of those interviews. I walked out knowing they would call me. I had no doubt about it. And the thing that, that I think came in the way of their calling me in September when they said they probably would was that I started my own nonprofit corporation called Sensory Perception. And its cause was to help raise financial assistance to purchase Opticons either through loans, which is our, our prime way of doing it, or if really a definite need was indicated as a gift for blind people. And so in uh, doing this, I had very grandiose ideas of brochures, which by the way have never gotten printed. And I wanted to show the independence that an Opticon would give someone, and I had these ideas of a very attractive, well-dressed businessman on an airplane using an Opticon to read a paper. Um, there are actually, I guess, a couple of problems with that in the sense that the Opticon could interfere with the radio transmissions from the airplane and is supposedly not supposed to be used, but uh, we didn't know that then. I picked up the phone, called the man at United Airlines. He said that he remembered me right away. I said, you know, after all this time, I still want to come to work for you. He said, we have some openings. They had me come down and meet the training department at United simply to look at their equipment and verify that I could do it. I had never read a CRT screen except at Palo Alto in training, and I had never focused a CRT lens in my life. There are, I think, seven lenses, and my chance, I had borrowed one from Sensory Aid Foundation for the occasion. They told me there was a one in seven chance that I had the right one. There was a six out of seven chance I had the wrong one, and there was a big chance that I wouldn't know how to focus it anyway. But I went down, and I'm, I'll tell you, I was brazen enough that I planned to show them how it would work if it did. <laughs> I didn't even care. I was going to take my chances anyway. It turned out it did work. It was the right lens. And it turned out I did focus it. And I was able to demonstrate that, yes, I could read the CRT screen. So I went out, you know, after meeting the trainers, I went on my way again. And the next thing I know, uh, this whole process began the end of February. They said, well, send us an updated application because it's four years old now. So I did. They called me the end of March and they offered me a position. The position was the same that they were offering everyone else at the time, which is called part-time standby. It's an interesting title. It means that the company guarantees you eight hours a week. You can work up to, well, you usually work, in fact, from May to September, I worked 40 hours a week and even overtime. But then when the phones begin to get slow and they would normally be facing a furlough, they have this, this number of employees, this margin, that they can begin diminishing your hours without furloughing anyone. They cut you back. So at that time, I went out and got a job at LA City College. I really have to laugh. I've never been without employment when I want it. So I went out and got a job at LA City College when they cut back my hours, and I kept both jobs, and I was made permanent with United in October, which was the end of my six-month probationary period, and was made full-time in January. And I've worked there for three years now. I love the company. Um, they have always been ready to stand by me and come up with help if I needed it. And by that I mean that when I started working there, they took us on a tour of the building and they said, this is the cafeteria. The only accommodation they gave me to say, this is the ice cream machine, you know, this is the Coke machine. But later on in the day when I said, okay, I'm going to head down the street to the neighborhood hamburger stand that they said was there, not one chair moved to say, oh, we'll come with you this first time. They just gave me the directions to go and never did anyone have any, any indication that they had any doubt that I would have found the hamburger stand and come back. Now, I didn't have any doubt either, 
But I don't know how many of the rest of you have gone in places where the minute you are going to do something that's fairly simple to do, someone is so willing to do it for you that you feel like you should, you know, I don't know. They never did that. Um, also, though, and I, I like it this way, they have never provided any of my equipment. If that's uh, oral suggested I tell you pitfalls, that could be one of them. Uh, I did have my own Opticon. I'm buying a second because I don't want to be without one should one break down, and I enjoy reading at home, and I don't like carrying machines back and forth. I also am buying a VersaBraille. I feel that my friends are buying cars and paying for car insurance and gas, and I don't see anything unusual about having a few debts myself to the credit union. So just for the heck of it, for those of you who do have Wanderlust, I thought I'd let you know that by the end of September, I probably will have traveled 200,000 miles in three years, or about three and a half. And those include uh, 12 trips to Dallas-Fort Worth from Los Angeles, uh, four trips to Honolulu, which will be five tomorrow, Copenhagen once on my way to, to a ski event in Norway called the Ritterin. And tomorrow I'm going to Honolulu. Next Tuesday I'm going to New Orleans. Uh, in August I'm going back to the Caribbean and in September back to Africa. I do love to travel. And I think at this time we'll just open it for questions. I don't know where you would like to hear about from here. I'm sorry. The, the question was, when do you work? <laughs> You'll love it. You I relayed that. <laughs> we have, I think, just one mic runner left at this point. So we have, we'll, we'll relay the question. That. Let me answer that question. I do have a very flexible schedule. The airline is open 365 days a year virtually almost 24 hours a day. Our office is open from 1 in the morning until, no, from 6 in the morning until 1 in the morning. Uh, therefore, as long as there is a body occupying the seat, taking a phone call, they don't care whether it's me or someone else. Uh, as it happened, this month I have Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday off. I work a 10-hour schedule four days a week. Um, tomorrow, when I'm going to Hawaii, the guy that sits next to me is going to be there for me because I stood in for him on a Tuesday that I had off. So we're allowed to trade with each other, and it allows me to be as, as uh, impractical and unpredictable as I enjoy being. And it's really kind of fun at work because we're the only office that I know of where someone would walk through and stop short and say, Petra, you're not here today, who are you? And I can say, I'm not here today, I'm Kent. And have nobody look askance because they know exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about a trade. So it really, it, it allows your hours to be flexible. I have uh, two weeks off now, and not one day of it is vacation. Let me ask a very practical question, Petra. You said you use an Opticon. Uh, all right, you're talking about using the little TV screen uh, type uh, thing that is connected with a computer terminal for your reservations. Correct. Uh, that means you, uh, what, simply scan that tube with the Opticon camera? And uh, read it with the other hand? Yes, uh-huh. That's the basic working method? Right. You type to the computer to ask for the particular information you need. When the computer displays the answer on the screen, you simply read it back with the Opticon. Now, you have done work with the Opticon a good bit. Um, how would you describe the kind of Opticon skills you have to have to, to be able to function that well? Would you have to say that would be just average Opticon skill, uh, somewhat better than average or far better than average? I think you have to be someone who enjoys it. I think you have to be one of the people who plays with them. And I almost tend to think one of my skills is Opticon teacher. And the people who play with them, the people who 
really enjoy them that much are usually the better users. You have to be very quick with the Opticon. You have to be able to move from the top part of the reservation to perhaps the bottom. And you have to be able to check many areas of the reservation that the passenger is not discussing with you. You have to be aware of these possible changes that you need to advise him of that he's not aware of even to mention. There are several areas of the, name, the passenger record that we check each time you call to reconfirm or you call to, to make a flight. And um, you would have to be, I think, a very flexible user and a very, very, well, flexible and versatile, and, and that would probably throw you into the better users. And I think the better users, in fact, are the people who, who really do enjoy the Opticon as, a, as something that they can use con comfortably enough to play and enjoy with, you know. Another question. Do you find that your working method uh, perhaps slows down your technique uh, enough to create any appreciable difference, any noticeable difference between your work and uh, your associates? Um, not do, really. Do you do yours effectively as fast as they do? Maybe I'm, I might be one call an hour short. If the goal is 16 calls an hour, I may fall in at 15 calls an hour. But that's not even below the office, office average. It's um, below the goal by one call, but not below the average. Okay, next question I would have uh, is this. Uh, are there other pieces of technology, are there other uh, machines and devices on the market that uh, you can see that might be useful to you also, or that you already use? Well, I just had the chance today to see the Maryland uh, talking computer terminal, and I was hopeful to get back to have a chance to talk to Phyllis and Jackie a little bit more to find out if it would do the job or not. It may... Uh, be a way of doing it. However, I'm just not sure about having the passenger talking and the computer talking and people beside you talking. It may be a little bit much. But it's something that certainly warrants looking into. Also, of course, the uh, invention of the VersaBraille. Uh, I have one now and I'm using it at, at this time for information storage and retrieval. It doesn't speak the airline computer language. Airline computers don't talk ASCII. They talk PARS, which means Programmed Airline Reservations Services or something, and uh, system, I guess. So it's a different language, and we have to build a link to convert the, the airline computer jargon to ASCII so that the VersaBraille will comprehend it and then see where we go with that. Okay. I, would like to, I would like to ask a question. Um, I would just simply like to know your uh, your reading speed, your your proficiency, if you will, uh, with it. I think with you're going to be disappointed. I haven't been timed since I graduated from training, and at that time I was like 20 words a minute. Um, TSI says that I must be reading close to 100 or a little bit over, but the minute they say, "Tester, we're going to time you," I freeze up, and who knows? I do know that I can read fast enough to convey the information to a passenger without any appreciable slowdown in the transmission of information. The passengers don't know that there's any difference at all. So I don't know how fast that would be. Okay, this is Rosie Goodrich from Milwaukee. I um, use an Opticon in my employment, and I'm pretty new at it, of course. But I think once you get the, the CRT lens focused properly, I think you have to admit that the quality of the print on a CRT screen is excellent, and usually 
very, very clear, you know, all the time, where if you use hard copy print, especially like comparing books and newspapers, that's certainly different. The letters in, on the CRT screen are usually always the same. That's true, except that my CRT screen turns up and down, and by the time you can turn up and down the threshold on the CRT and up and down the threshold on the Opticon, you've got two things to really goof yourself up. But I do recall, it may depend on the kind of terminal you're reading. When I started with United, I hated eights and zeros because the zero has a dot in the middle, and unless you really focus and have your threshold right, it looks like an eight. And I also did not care very much for M's, N's, and H's. And I also had an extreme dislike for R's and A's. But you can get used to all those things, yes. When okay. I quoted a fare, I learned to look at the one-way price and double it real fast to find out if it was an eight or a zero. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little trick of the trade as a way of uh, backing yourself up. Sure. Any other questions? Yes, I have a question. I'm Kathy Lyons from Buffalo. Did you have to do anything to the CRT so that you could use the Opticon with it? No. It does have uh, a tracking device across the top which simply suspends the camera for me. Um, and of course I have to move the camera. The CRT screen is exactly the same that my coworkers use. The only adaptation, if you call it that, is that the margins left and right and up and down are not quite as close to the metal edge of the screen because the camera can't get that close. That's the only change. Okay, any other questions? Uh, if not, I'm going to have one more myself. My question is, uh, is the Opticon the, the pr principal instrument that you use? Yes, uh, definitely. You, know, you don't use the talking it's the uh, love calculators of my life. and whatnot? No, our computer has a, a function of calculator, so I don't... I used to use the talking calculator. Um, the poor thing's battery died, and I have been using the computer ever since. I should get it in for a new battery, but uh, the computer does most everything, and I will say the computer... I think is probably the biggest boon to blind people in employment, almost bigger than the Opticon, except that it takes the two together. But the computer is definitely what allows me to do the job. If I had to deal with paperwork and uh, printouts, it would just be phenomenally impossible. But computers with their, uh, their predictability, you can predict where the information is going to be displayed. Um, a lot of these things gave, give a blind person an edge or at least an equality with the other workers because you're not dealing with the information giving the computer giving you random information scattered to where you have to search it. It's always going to come in a certain way. And I have learned a lot of little computer tricks to get it to do it exactly the way I want it. Okay, thanks very much, Petra. Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free of charge Louis database http colon slash slash l-o-u-i-s dot a-p-h dot org locate accessible educational materials from nearly 200 different agencies a-p-h products and textbooks can also be located using louis new extended searching now available with free louis plus visit soon http colon slash slash l-o-u-i-s dot a-p-h dot org Many book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. Pull APH's mini-book Braille binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the mini-book slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you. Call the American Printing House for the Blind, toll-free, 800-223-1839, or visit www.aph.org.
Page 4, The Sound Prince Calendar. On October 1, the American Council of Blind Lions will be holding its next conference call at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The telephone number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. We invite lions from all across the country to participate. On October 2, the Louisville East Lions Club is holding its Chili Supper from 4.30 to 7 p.m. at St. Leonard's Church, 440 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. $5 per person includes chili, hot dogs, dessert, and, of course, lots of good fun and an opportunity to support the good work of the Louisville East Lions Club. Also on October 2, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will be holding its next roundabout. Education and technology from 3.30 to 6, games and crafts from 7 to 10, and we'll be supporting the Louisville East Lions Club by having carryout, which will arrive around 6 p.m. Be sure to call the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598 to sign up for the roundabout. On October 4, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its committee meetings. The Advocacy Committee will meet at 7 p.m., Education and Technology at 8, and Activities at 9. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On October 7, the KCBPR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. on the same conference line. On October 8 to 10, the 147th Annual Meeting of the American Printing House for the Blind will take place at the Hyatt in downtown Louisville. For more information, call Janie Blom at 800-223-1839, extension 367, or email her at jblome, B-L-O-M-E, at aph.org. On October 8th, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its next meeting via conference call at 7 p.m. Eastern. The phone number is 605-475-4700, and the code is 155619. October 9 is the next GLCB roundabout. It will include education and technology, 3.30 to 6, dinner from 6 to 7, $5 per person, and music, games, and crafts from 7 to 10. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On October 10, the GLCB board will meet at 11 a.m. at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444, and later that afternoon, GLCB will be holding a dine-out from 3.30 to 6 p.m. at Mark's Feed Store, 1514 Bardstown Road in Louisville. Be sure and give us a call at 895-4598 to let us know you'll be attending. On October 12, the Kentucky School for the Blind Advisory Board will meet from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on the KSB campus at 1867 Frankfort Avenue in Louisville. Call 502-897-1583 for more information. Also on October 12, the Bluegrass Council will have its next community outing from 5 to 6.30 p.m. at the Arboretum 500 Alumni Drive in Lexington. Call 859-259-1834 for information. On October 15, the eye-opening symposium will be held in Lexington from 9 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Call Bluegrass Council for details. 
On October 15, there will be a White Cane Day safety celebration in Covington from 10 a.m. to noon. It will be at the police station at 20th and Madison. For more information, call the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind at 859-781-7369. Also on October 15, we'll be celebrating White Cane Safety Day in Louisville from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at 4th Street Live. Call 502-895-4598 for details. On October 16 will be the next GLCB Roundabout, 3.30 to 10 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. October 17 is Carol Ann's Carousel, 9.30 to 11 a.m. in Cincinnati. It's an opportunity for visually impaired guests to explore the animal characters while the carousel is stationary. Sighted volunteer assistance will be available as needed. It's at Smale Riverfront Park in Cincinnati. Call Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369 for details. October 18 is the KSB Alumni Board Meeting at 8 p.m. via conference call. And on October 19, the Kentucky Council of the Blind Board will hold its meeting by conference call. The number for both calls is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. On October 20, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have its October meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central it's a White Cane Day safety celebration, the corner of 2nd and St. Anne Streets in downtown Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418. On October 21, the Charles McDowell Center will have their third annual open house. It's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. There will be product demonstrations, tours, information, refreshments, and much more. It's at the McDowell Center, 8412 Westport Road in Louisville. On October 23, the Statewide Rehabilitation Council will have its regular quarterly meeting at the McDowell Center. Committee meetings begin at 9.30 in the morning, and the meeting will conclude about 2.30 in the afternoon. For more information, call Jennifer Wright at 502-564-4754. Also on October 23 is a GLCB roundabout from 3.30 to 10 at United Crescent Hill Ministries. On October 24 is a Halloween Masks Workshop. From 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., use tactile materials to make scary and friendly masks and headdresses. Registration is required. It's appropriate for kids 5 and up as well as adults, and it's at the American Printing House for the Blind Museum, 1839 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. Give them a call at 502-899-2213 for more information. On October 25, ACB Families will hold its next meeting at 9 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6333 and enter code 1711553. On October 26, Guide Dog Users of Kentucky will have its membership meeting at 7 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On October 28, the Bluegrass Council will hold an open house and 40th anniversary celebration from 12 to 6 p.m. at the BCB Community Room, 1093 South Broadway, Suite 1230 in Lexington. Call them at 859-259-1834 for details. And on October 30 is the last GLCB roundabout for the month 
education and technology, dinner and games and crafts from 3.30 to 10 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.